sometimes we got to keep in mind that we are just significant pieces to the puzzle of life. Sometimes you may be significant in the beginning of that child's life, but whatever you have to offer, give that to them. It's not our responsibility to cherry pick and see what they're going to do with that. You know, uh, no one's the alpha and omega or the beginning and the end. You may come in on the end, or sometimes you may be in the middle. But I wish that the caregivers in my life or the adults would have understood that. This is the Foster Movement Podcast, helping you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Here are your hosts, Jason Weber and Diego Buller. Hey, this is Jason Weber. Welcome to the Foster Movement Podcast. I'm here with Diego Fuller. Hey, Diego. Hey, what's up, Jason? How you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Man, I am doing pretty good today. Yeah? Have you had a good summer? Man, I had a great summer. School has started. The kids are going back to school, man, and I'm just super excited that they're at school now. <laughs> <laughs> and how was your summer? Uh, it was great. It was great. Yeah. Got to do some really neat things with the kids. Got to go on a mission trip with uh, with uh, my three teenagers. Oh, awesome. Um, so it was a fantastic summer. Awesome. That's pretty yeah. good, man. Yeah. So uh, today we have a, a, an interesting um, podcast because we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Yep. Do you like puzzles? You know what? I'm not the puzzle guy, but when my two-year-old want to play with puzzles, I got to get down and play with the puzzles and put the pieces together. Yeah. <laughs> my kids are a little older now, and my youngest is nine, so I, I, I kind of probably liked puzzles mm-hmm. like when at that stage when there's right. like... 16 pieces. <laughs> right. Now there's like not, a thousand. Not, right. That's too, that's just too many. Confusing. Yeah, it's very confusing. Right. And my kids like them and my wife likes them. <laughs> I don't like them, but... They give me a headache. Yeah, they, they're hard. Right. Puzzles are hard, Diego. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have this piece. Right. And it looks like every other piece. Exactly. And you got to find out where, where it fits. Where, where, yeah, where it fits. So. But the thing is, is it... It looks like every other piece, mm-hmm. but it's not. Right. It, it, it's unique and it's different. And sometimes we don't do a good job of looking close enough at the differences and the uniquenesses so that we can find the place where the puzzle piece fits. Exactly. And that's something we do in foster care in the mm-hmm. church all the time, right? Right, right. Is we go into a church. Now, most of us, if we get 10 minutes a year uh, in front of our church or with a Sunday school class to talk mm-hmm. about foster care, that's really good. Like, right. There's a lot of people that would love that much exactly. time. The thing is, is I think one of the mistakes we make sometimes is we use that whole 10 minutes to talk about foster parenting and adoption. Right. That's something that 99% of people don't feel ready to do at any given moment. Right. And instead, maybe we ought to be looking closer at the people sitting in the audience, right? Looking at their uniquenesses and helping and, them find their fit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do something a little different. We are going to hear from uh, foster care alumni um, Tyrone Flowers, who talks about that very thing. Um, he. Uh, needed people to step into his life mm. to do that. Didn't necessarily always have it, right? Um, but he's stepped into that role in the lives of a lot of other kids, 
he has an amazing story. He's gone through so many difficult things. You're going to hear about the circumstances that led to him being left in a wheelchair mm. uh, for his entire life. But through all of the difficult things he's experienced, he has now turned that pain into purpose, as you'll wow. hear him talk about. And so we're going to uh, hear from Tyrone, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, doing something kind of different, kind of fun, hearing from a lot of folks about how they found their fit in foster care. So before we get there, let's hear from Tyrone. Hello, Tyrone. It's good to be with you. I'm glad to be here. So tell me a little bit about uh, the beginning of your journey towards foster care. Well, uh, I was born out of wedlock to teenage parents, uh, and obviously my mother wasn't able to take care of me, and my father wasn't involved in my life. So my grandmother uh, took custody of me, and she raised me with her 12 children. So I was the very first grandchild. So you went to live with your grandmother at what age? Basically, she had custom, custody of me as an infant. Okay. I was really young. All right. And how long did you stay with her? I stayed with my grandmother all the way up to the age of seven. Uh, she got uh, diagnosed with throat cancer, and then that's when DFS or the system came to my house and did evaluation and basically uh, said it was unfit, and that's when I was introduced to the foster care system. Okay. Do you remember what that transition into foster care felt like for you? Yes. I mean, it was really, like, weird because I wasn't part of any of the process. It was like one of those things to where, hi, you meet this lady who's your social worker, and normally you meet and talk at the house, and everybody go their separate ways. But this time I went on a little ride, had your clothes packed up, and this is where you're going to be staying. And I remember... You know, at the age of seven, uh, thinking like maybe this is going to be a temporary thing while because my grandmother was sick. So I thought it was related to that, not like this is where you're going to be staying. And so uh, about after a week, I was like, why can't I go home? When am I going home? Right. And that's when, you know, I was told this is where you're going to be staying. Uh, And that's when things went bad real quick. When you say things went bad real quick, what do you mean by that? Well, at that point, I became very angry because I didn't understand, like, why can't I be with my family? I got a big family. Just because my grandmother is ill, I got uncles and aunts that can take care of me. They didn't explain anything to me about unfit environment and things of that nature. Just this is where you're at. And uh, in my experience with my foster parents uh, uh, in that first go around wasn't the greatest because I was a kid used to interacting with someone 10 to 15 years older than me. And so I'm at talking to my foster parents like we're peers, and they're not responding like that. And so I took that as, you know, we got a problem, and we develop a personality conflict, and it turned into a power struggle. And that's when, uh, and my only way of addressing that was fighting back. You know, to deal with your anger, you only can deal with it three ways. You can take it out on others, You can take it out on yourself or you can destroy things. And I love myself too much to take it out on me. So I would just start fighting and taking it out on others because I was thinking if I messed up things here, they would put me out and then I would go back home. I didn't know it was another foster home. You mentioned that uh, the whole process uh, made you angry. Yes. Right. Um, At some point, you turned your attention towards athletics. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So talk to me about that. Well, uh, I've always been a very athletic, physical uh, kid, you know, growing up with people a lot older than you and interacting with them. They kind of toughen you up and challenging you. And so when you start uh, competing with your peers, it becomes a lot easier. So after uh, going through juvenile detention centers, reformatory schools and all that, you know, I kind of fell in love with basketball and football. Uh, And so when I had opportunities to do those things, it was a way for me to excel. And uh, and it was just very rewarding. I've heard you talk before about um, that you felt like, and maybe you were just explicitly told that people didn't think you're going anywhere. Yes, I mean it was it was kind of uh, some people, most people told you directly. I mean, I grew up in a community where people are frank with you, whether they like you, dislike you, whether they're attracted to you or not, and uh, it was either because of the color of my skin. It was either because of my family background. Oh, you have flowers. You're one of those. Where you live, the other side of the tracks. And sometimes it's just because of your history. I mean, they don't think you have the ability to overcome those obstacles or uh, accomplish certain goals. And so that was pretty much it, you know. Sometimes I would overhear overhear people that actually love me and, and just be like, man, he's a great kid. But I just don't see it. You know, he's going to end up in jail. Most people thought I would be dead or in jail by the time I was 18 or 21. Not a doctor, not a lawyer. So uh, that that was kind of frustrating in a sense that, you know, they didn't look any deeper. And then the fact that my father was murdered when I was 10. To say your father is murdered, I guess... It's almost like, is it in my DNA to be a murderer? Are you looking at me different? And then, is he a bad person? Because I thought to be murdered, you had to be a bad person. I didn't know good people can get killed. So for years, I used to think my father had to be some bad person for someone to murder him. So all of those things kind of factored in to uh, people not believing in me. Uh, But I always say this. If you are a caretaker, if you are a teacher, if you are a pastor or whatever, it's your job to give that kid the best of you or the best of your craft, craft, irregardless. Sometimes we got to keep in mind that we are just significant pieces to the puzzle of life. Sometimes you may be significant in the beginning of that child's life to where they really need you. But whatever you have to offer, give that to them. It's not our responsibility to cherry pick and see what they're going to do with that. You know, uh, no one's the alpha and omega or the beginning and the end. You may come in on the end or sometimes you may be in the middle. But I wish that the caregivers in my life or the adults would have understood that even though they may not have seen potential at that moment, but there is potential or have faith that there was some potential and just gave me the best that they had to offer and allow me to build off that information and that experience with other future relationships instead of just assuming that it was no hope. Hmm. And so what was next for you at that point? You had a great senior year. What was what was your 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 dream and your plan? Well, every own? everything was by accident almost because played basketball, then all of a sudden you offer scholarships. It's like, what's that? 
<laughs> and everybody act like I was supposed to know. So you kind of play it off, you know, until you find out. They say fake it till you make it. So you and didn't understand. I literally didn't understand what the they meant by scholarship. I knew basketball, but at, growing up in a system, you always want to know what's people's expectations. There's always a carrot out there. If you do this, but what do I have to do to get it? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to play basketball, but I was like, what is a scholarship in my mind? And and the guidance counselor, because of my resume again, she never talked to me about college because they never expected me to go. And then I've never been on a college campus. No one of my family's ever been in college. I was more comfortable going to the penitentiary, jail, prison, than I was college. I knew family members and friends who'd been in jail and came out more successful than they than when they, they were when they went in. Looked better and everything. And so uh, I just didn't know. So I turned down the scholarships. And uh, so, but I still was running away from poverty and I decided to go to the army because I was used to people telling me what to do, when to do, and, and how to do it. From being in the juvenile system, I was like, well, at least I'll get paid now to do those same things. So I decided to go to the army. So you had this incredible senior year uh, where you were on your own because you had turned 18 and you were experiencing some of the opportunities that came with that to make some of your own decisions. You had made a decision uh, to go into the, the Army. Yes. And, and then what happened? Yes. Again, I mean, I chose the Army because I just wanted to be successful, running away from poverty in some form or fashion. And I uh, looked into it. I was influenced by two movies, Officer and the Gentleman in Stripes. So, <laughs> so I figured those two knuckleheads can do it, then I can do it. They gave me hope. And so uh, after I... Uh, those are words that may have never been spoken before today. Exactly. <laughs> those are my heroes. Because, uh, you know, the reason why I say that is because you never know what triggers a kid. I mean, sometimes we're thinking like that role model for 20 years or that mentor, but sometimes just a moment or an experience or... I use movies all the times and documentaries just for them to see it because seeing it from some other angle to get it if you really want to reach that kid. So that's why I say that because I would like to say someone came to me and thought I could be a great military man, and I said, yes, no, way simpler than that. (laughs) Right. So long story short, uh, I passed a written physical exam to join the military. The next day I got up to celebrate with a friend of mine and got on a bus and uh, I ran into the starting point guard on my basketball team, and uh, we got into a verbal confrontation. And for the most part, I thought that was going to be it. But in the process of me getting off the bus, we shared a few more words. And then I got off the bus, he got off the bus, and I thought it was going to be a traditional fight. I threw up my guards, and uh, within seconds, he pulled out a gun, a three fifty Magnum, and shot me three times. He shot me in my neck. Blew a hole in my neck and it nicked my spinal cord, shot me in my hand, and he shot me in my leg. And that's what put me in a wheelchair. At that point, what were people telling you about what your future would look like? Well, it was really interesting because I really didn't have a lot of fans or naysayers because at this point I removed myself from the people that would be the traditional people I would hang around that would be like, you ain't going to be this, you're not going to be that. I was pretty much walking alone. I wasn't interacting with a lot of folks. It was mainly with peers uh, or a small group of associates. And so uh, after I got shot, I was more questions for God because 
I wasn't as upset of me getting shot or being defined, confined to a wheelchair because getting shot wasn't the worst thing that happened to me. You know, I was almost more comfortable when negative things would happen because that was normal. Sometimes when good things happened, that scared me because I didn't know why or what their intentions were. Did you have anybody to turn to at that point? No. At that point, it was like, and it, and it was kind of interesting because there's people around, but they're not the answer. It's almost like you can have somebody here. It's almost like having a car that don't work. It was like a lot of people around, but what you need, it just didn't work. They were already in their own world with their own issues. And then because of the way I looked at things, even been in a chair or I was still looking forward, which didn't make sense to them because they wasn't even looking forward in their own situation. So from that perspective, optimistically and wanting to get past just what I was already experiencing, I was already beyond my whole peer group and family members that I was associating with. So it was almost like I didn't have no one that could motivate me past me. And so that's where I was kind of like with God, like, why me? Why did it have to happen this way? Because also by me getting shot and being an African-American male living in the urban core, everybody assumed I was a drug dealer or a gangbanger. Now, at the time, my morals wasn't above that, but that just wasn't me. And so that bothered me more than anything. So uh, that's why I was just like, okay, I got to keep moving forward. I got to keep moving more forward, even though I didn't know what that was. I didn't know how this was going to turn out. And that's why I share with a lot of kids that grew up in a foster care system or in non-traditional ways. You don't necessarily have to have the answer to move forward or keep staying positive because you just need breaks, the right person at the right time. But you got to keep moving in a direction that you need those breaks to happen. And, and, and God had always given me the break when I needed it, even though I thought it was delayed or sometimes a little early. But I just always wanted to keep moving forward until I knew for sure that what I was running from, poverty, was not feasible to overcome. So at this point in your life, where did that break come from? Well, the first break was uh, I was looking for understanding to why I got shot. And that did draw me closer to God. Now, I wasn't going to God to make no deals. Like if you, you know, if you get me up out of his wheelchair, then I'm become a Christian and, you know, stop fornicating, you know, all those deals we make. And I, because the reason being is when I was incarcerated, I made so many deals with God and I started becoming the biggest hypocrite in the world. And I hated hypocrites. So I stopped making deals. But like, again, I questioned why. And that's when God told me, he said, you know, you've been through a lot, but your past is not going to be your past to heaven. You got a choice to make. And, and I grew up religious, so I knew the Bible. You know, I was just going to wait to work out my own salvation, wait till I'm 65 when I'm done doing what I'm doing, or wait till I got married, or right before that plane crash, say the sinner's prayer. And he basically talked to me in frank terms that he knew I was capable of handling. If you don't make a decision, you're going to spend eternity in hell. And I was like, okay. But the thing where he got me on, he said, you're going to go through fiery trials, but I will give you peace and understanding. At that time, I was looking for understanding, not a solution, but the understanding to why me. Because now I'm doing things the right way for the right reason, and bad things are happening. 
I can understand if you're doing bad and bad. And so when he explained that, that gave me peace. So that small window of peace allowed me in moving forward to move forward in a different uh, mindset versus not just for success, but more so for purpose. And so that purpose led you to do what? Well, first of all, we all know in order to be forgiven for your sins, you have to forgive. Now, that is not something you necessarily got to like or feel good about. <laughs> yeah. Because I didn't want to be labeled as a, as a punk or being weak by not retaliating. I wasn't a violent person. I just wanted to even the playing skills so they can know I'm still out here. But that wasn't an option with God because for two years I wanted to kill the guy or put him in a wheelchair. So everybody can know we even because it's a small world, small community. We see each other. Yeah, two years. For two years. You know, but I was more methodical about it. I didn't want to go to jail. So I was trying to wait to things die down. My family was crazy. And it was, they was uh, hurt by it more than sometimes I was. And so finally, uh, I had a choice sometimes to do right. I never want to be putting in all this work and lose it over one thing. So after I started experiencing some success, going to school and things started making sense, do I really want to lose all this over this? And then part of salvation is forgiveness. So I had to forgive the guy that shot me so God can forgive me. So I forgave him, and then eventually we became friends. So you talked about being a kid who everybody looked at and said, you don't have a chance. So now you run a ministry in Kansas City, Missouri, and you are investing in young people. Yes. Who may also, in some cases, be surrounded by people who say, you don't have a chance. Yes. Based on your past experience, what are you passionate about speaking into their life? What I'm passionate about speaking into their lives is that I found out the purpose for my pain. And now I want them to understand that pain with a purpose is not a bad thing because I continue to ask God why me from being born into the family I was in, the circumstances that I went through. And then once things start turning around and I went off to college, to a community college, then graduated from uh, MU, University of Missouri, Columbia, and then going off to law school and graduating. And now people starting to see another side of you. You've been more of a value and an asset to the community and uh, valuing you as a person and seeing your self-worth. Uh, that was a learning experience, too. And so now in working with these kids, and then I realized that everything, I have not met one kid in my program or I've been introduced to where there's not an aspect of what they're going through. God hasn't put me through it. Mm. So all of that from losing my father, 99.9% of my kids don't have fathers in their life, either long-term incarceration death or never knew him going with that uh moving around from different family members incarceration foster care kinship care strong-willed but being misunderstood or misinterpreted but when it comes to social issues with certain kids we always want to keep them in that in that in that box because i just think it's very important for us as caregivers or adults to realize that 
Sometimes these kids are gifted in different ways. And once we define what those gifts are, just like if a kid is gifted academically, we test them and then we put them in a higher level. You give them different opportunities. So with kids that are socially and emotionally gifted, even though that skill set may have been learned in a and not in the most positive way, they still got a skill set and a talent that we need to nurture that experience versus where they should be. So uh, with higher impact, that's what I love is identifying these individuals that may have been through horrific challenges and situations. I'm not motivated by their past. I'm motivated when I look in their eyes, when I challenge them in different ways and how they respond. I just see a bright future. I just see them not only working in the light of some of the things I've been able to accomplish, but to blow past me. And I just get pumped up and just start digging. You know, uh, sometimes we got to go backwards before we go forward, but we, we're constantly moving. Well, Tyrone, thank you so much for uh, visiting with us and taking the time. It's been an honor. I don't know. Honors is mine. I just appreciate you guys and just giving me this opportunity to share. And uh, hopefully if we can do continue to do great things together and give God all the glory. If people want to learn more about the work you do, where do they go? If you want to learn more about the work that Higher Impact and myself are doing, uh, you can go to uh, higherimpact.org, and that's uh, higher, H-I-G-H-E-R-M hyphen P-A-C-T. It's impact without the I. Or you can find us on Facebook. All right. Thanks, Tyrone. Thank you. Wow, Jason, ain't it amazing how he found um, his purpose, you know, through his pain and that helped him to find his niche and find his fit uh, and what he's supposed to be doing now uh, with the children that he's um, looking after, you know, today. Yeah, he's a remarkable man. And uh, it was a privilege to talk to him uh, and just to um, I, I got to visit with him in his office in Kansas City, mm-hmm. Missouri. Yeah. As a Kansas guy, I got <laughs> <Right>. to <laughs> make, sure you, point you, that you, out. make sure you get that right. <laughs> Kansas City, Missouri. Right. Um, but just to see the evidence of um, a life invested in others exactly. um, through the pictures and through uh, the things that they're doing, uh, mm. pretty amazing. Amazing story, man. So what we want to do now is we want to introduce you uh, to uh, several different people who have all found their fit in different ways. Now, we have a resource called Find Your Fit in Foster Care. It's a, it's a small booklet, about 12 pages long. It's full color. It's cartoons, man. There's cartoons in this thing. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, it's designed to introduce you to seven different types of people. Now, this is not some like elaborate personality test. Uh, it's not like you're going to go through this thing and come out knowing your spirit animal mm-hmm. or something. You know, Diego, you have the personality <laughs> of a walrus. You know, it's not like that. Um, but but it, uh, it does identify distinctive things about seven different types of people and how those types of people can use their gifts, talents, and experiences mm-hmm. to make a difference right. for kids and families in foster care. Yeah, that's amazing. And as you listen to these seven different types, uh, we're going to go through each one of them. We're going to go pretty quick. Um, but uh, we want you to 
think about where you fit in foster care. And, and there's a good chance that more than one of these is going to describe you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll briefly describe them, and then we'll introduce you to a person uh, who talks a little bit about um, themselves as, uh, as one of those people. Now, one of the main reasons we want to do this with this episode uh, yes, we want you to find your fit in foster care. I'm assuming that many of you already know where you fit. Um, so, one of the main things we love to see is we'd love to see you take these concepts, uh, these principles, this material, and we'd like for you to take it back to your church this fall. Um, hold a follow-up meeting after Stand Sunday. Stand Sunday's coming, and we would love for you to use Stand Sunday to um, raise awareness about kids in foster care, but then have a follow-up meeting and say, we're going to talk about how each one of you fits into foster care, and then we're going to have the materials that you can uh, order that uh, can put one of these booklets in everybody's hands, and you can do a presentation. We'll give you the slides that you can use for that. Um, and so we want to expose you to each of these seven types in hopes that you will then introduce people in your community and help them find their fit. So, Diego, let's start with the administrator. <clears throat> yes. The administrator. Yeah. The admi- Do you know any administrators? My wife is an administrator. <laughs> is she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, administrators, they have an eye for detail. Um, they like to break things down right. into steps. Um, and they like to coordinate multiple moving pieces, helping right. others to do their part. You know what I like to say? I say that, um, you know, administrator's favorite video game, you know what their favorite video game is? What's that? It's Microsoft Excel, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like spreadsheets. Microsoft Excel. <laughs> they like spreadsheets. They like um, to break things down. And right, so right. let's hear from uh, a good friend of ours, Michelle Douglas, uh, who uh, does a great job of using her gifts to help kids in foster care. So when I'm able to take something that seems very overwhelming for someone at the local level, I'm able to break that down and show them each step what's required. And it's really not that overwhelming when you look at just doing this part than just doing that part. And at the end of the day, they're able to accomplish far more than they felt like they could in the beginning when they felt alone. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm so thankful for administrators like Michelle make the world go around. Exactly. You got to be a detailed person oh, to yeah. be an administrator. So uh, yeah. you, and, can count, you can count me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. And a lot of times administrators, they don't necessarily think of themselves as somebody that can have a giant impact exactly. on a lot of lives, but mm-hmm. they really can. Yeah. So if you suspect that you might be an administrator, yeah. uh, what are some of the ways that you fit in foster care? Well, first, you can plan special events for uh, recruitments or trainings or fundraisers. Uh, you can coordinate the development of an entirely new project or program, yeah. or you can coordinate multiple people to wrap around and meet needs that uh, families have. So some really important roles uh, that an administrator can play that leads to a lot of people making a lot of impact. Um, all right. So let's talk about now, let's talk about the advocate. Yes. The all advocate. Right. The advocate. The advocate, they're always, they're always rooting for the underdog. And they just want to see change with what's going on in the foster care system. So they are, they are, they are the voice. Yeah. They're like, they're a fighter. Right. They're a fighter. I want to introduce you to Elizabeth Achapinti, who is a fantastic advocate for others. And she does so out of her own experience. Uh, So take a listen to Elizabeth. There's this thing about being able to sort of say, no, man, (laughs) let me tell you. Let me tell you what it was to be a welfare mom. Let me talk to you about how humbling it was 
to have to stand in the WIC line and receive support. I'm going to tell you what it was back in the 90s to be a single mom was far different than it is now, right? I can relate to you. I know I look like I got it all dialed in right now, but believe me, I've walked a road. I've walked a road, and I want to help you walk that road too. And I think that's what advocacy should look like. It shouldn't look like um, I've got this all figured out. It should more look like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be your voice. I'm going to help you sort out where you're at, and we're going to come through this together. That's what advocacy should look like. Diego, where the advocate fits, they fit in a lot of different places Mm -hmm. in foster care, but they make great court-appointed special advocates. They make great foster parents. Um, They make great child-specific recruiters, and they make great caseworkers because they love fighting for people. Yeah. All right. Next, we have the ally. The ally. That's right. That's somebody who um, really empathizes with other people. The ally is the faithful friend, Mm -hmm. right? And so um, they they just cheer you on. Like they know what you're going through. And my wife is one of these people. Oh yeah. Uh, You can tell. We've actually had friends observe this that um, you can be looking at her talking to somebody, not Mm -hmm. even see the other person, and you kind of know what the other person's talking about based on the expressions on my wife's face hmm. because she reflects back wow. uh, the feelings of the people she's talking to. Yeah. And that's the ally. Hmm. And another ally is Rhonda Littleton. Let's take a listen. And so I, I believe, too, that the role of an ally is not just working with uh, families and children, but also child welfare professionals. And really a huge uh, part of my heart is being a champion for child welfare professionals and walking beside them, encouraging them, and just um Praying for them, really it all goes back to the HELP initiative. It's just of honoring them and encouraging them, uh, loving on them through acts of service and praying for them and just really um, walking beside them and encouraging them in, their, in the jobs that they have. So where the ally fits in at in uh, foster care, I mean, they're really, they're phenomenal at um, supporting the biological family, also supporting foster and adoptive families, and also encouraging um, social workers. Which um, is so yeah. important. Yeah, so important, man. All right. The next one is the ambassador. I think ambassador, that's kind of what I am. Yeah. yeah maybe you too. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so I think that's probably true. I know with the ambassador, man, you really enjoy talking with other people and inspiring them to do big things. Uh, you enjoy connecting them with the right people uh, and just building... Community, community, collaboration, relationships. Let's get you things gotta, done together. Exactly. And Jason, you also have... You just have a passion uh, for really sharing your story and, uh, and really trying to make a change and a difference. So you and I, we definitely know some ambassadors. Uh, one of them uh, who does a great job at this is Kevin Enders. Let's hear from Kevin. Uh, my wife and I became foster parents. Then we adopted a sibling group of two in 2007 and 2008. And I was an entrepreneur traveling basically the world in business and got to practice my testimony a lot. Got to share my story with people on the plane, people in business, people that I worked with and worked for. And uh, it just became so natural to want to be an advocate and an ambassador for kids um, who can't speak up for themselves. All right, so ambassadors like Kevin, they end up doing things like speaking to congregations, speaking at events. Mm -hmm. They write blogs and articles that inspire others to action. They encourage pastors and child welfare professionals and other key community leaders to work together and figure out how to collaborate to get big things done in foster care. All right, so let's move on to the The coach. Coach (laughs) him. 
All right, so the coach. You might be a coach if others describe you as a good listener. You have a natural curiosity that allows you to ask questions and get to know others well. Mm -hmm. You like to share um, transparently about your own triumphs, your own failures. You're not afraid to tell people, yeah, I messed this up. Uh, Here's what I wish I would have done. And you enjoy introducing others to ideas and resources and people that can help them succeed. Uh, The coach is always in it. Um, for the other person, the coach is in it to win it. That's right. They want to see, uh, <laughs> see you that win. person do it. My son, uh, when he was like two years old, mm-hmm. um, you know, he had a little Nerf basketball hoop, right, right. And uh, he would he would shoot, mm-hmm. but then he would always take the second shot. He'd take the ball and he'd hand it to you and say, mm. "You try it." Wow. And so that's what a coach does, right? They've done life, and then they hand the ball off to you and they say, right. you, "You try, try it." it. I like it. All right. Let's hear from Shelly Raddick, a great coach. I enjoy coaching other people because one of my most favorite things in the whole world is to see people reach the potential um, and use the gifting that God's created within them. It, it is so fun to hear and work with someone who you know, starts out with, I really want to do this and I don't know how it's going to happen, to then you know, a month later or two months later talking to someone who says, I tried that. I thought that might work and it did. And this happened. And I can't believe that I could do this. I can't believe that God could do this through me. I, I love, love, love seeing people fulfill their potential. Yo, that was awesome. Uh, man, where the coach fits in in foster care, uh, man, they are a mentor to kids in the foster care system. And they're really there to encourage them, pick them up, lift them up. Uh, they're also a coach to the biological families um, that's working to be um, reunified. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's and right. They, they do a great job of also, like Shelly, um, coaching people who are trying to start ministries and right. organizations. Exactly, exactly. Uh, they yeah. really share from their experience. So I think it's awesome to be a, be a coach. Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right, what do we got next, Diego? Uh, the intercessor. All right. Man, of course, we all know what that is. Oh, Somebody okay. is just going to pray for you. Oh, and in the foster care system, Jason, we need people praying for us because yeah. we can't do this without God. And I think the, the best thing to do is, is really pray. Uh, if you can't do anything else, at least just pray. Yeah. Do something. Absolutely. All right, we've got a great one. <laughs> Melissa Bloom. Probably about five or six years ago, I was working as a forensic interviewer at a child advocacy center where I had the privilege and burden of hearing kids' stories of abuse and neglect, and there was um, just experience some different faith crisis through that job, um, just through hearing these stories of raw need um, and just really dark sin in my faith in God and how can those things come together and how could I do something more to help. And through that experience, the Lord really planted deeply um, the conviction that it would be a, it's essential to pray for these kids, that that was um, a big part of my job there. And Diego's intercessors are so important. There's this quote by Jonathan Edwards that I really like. It says, There is no way that Christians in a private capacity can do so much to promote the works of God and advance the kingdom of God as by prayer. Mm. That if you're looking to make the biggest impact that you can make in foster care, it's praying. It's on your knees. Wow. It's on your knees. And so where does the intercessor fit in foster care? Well, it fits. They fit everywhere. But yeah. specifically praying for kids and families and child welfare professionals, yep. gathering people together in person by phone or mm-hmm. online to pray regularly for the foster care system. 
Um, and this is a big one uh, that I saw, I've seen a few times, right. and it's blown me away where I've seen intercessors attend events, mm-hmm. uh, recruitment events or conferences for the sole purpose. Like the whole right. reason they go is to show up early, sit, sit in, the, in back, the back and pray. Just pray. That's awesome, man. I knew a lady who would come and she would pray over every chair mm-hmm. before uh, a big event. Interceding. Oh, man. And wow. you see the fruit of that years That's later. That's amazing. So... Um, just love intercessors and are so thankful for people who just see it as their role. Exactly. To pray. Yep. All right. So last but not least, we've got the recruiter. So you might be a recruiter if you find yourself pointing out to others where there's needs. Mm-hmm. Um, you like talking to people transparently about uh, your own experiences in the system. And uh, others have told you that you inspire them to do big things. Um, the recruiter does you know, what we're talking about here, which is helping others exactly. to find their fit. That's right. And so let's hear from uh, a great recruiter, Johnston Moore. I realized that people, when people saw the kids, they realized, you know, this isn't as scary as we thought. And so we would start giving them more and more opportunities in California to engage this issue. And so we would do prayer vigils. We would do, um, we did a music camp for kids in foster care. And we just gave people more and more opportunities to get involved with the kids and and with the issue. And then, then we let the ultimate recruiter, the Holy Spirit, do his work. And so, and that's really, I think, what the key was, is not to, not to um, twist people's arms, but to kind of present the issue, present God's heart for these kids. Um, I always start with God's heart because it has to start with God's heart. Um, there are a million needs out there, and if we always start with the need, it's just going to be one more thing coming at people. But if we present God's heart for these kids, present opportunities for them to engage, but then let the Holy Spirit do His work without twisting people's arms. I think that that's ultimately the best recruiting method, at least for me. That's what's worked for me. So, Mr. Jason, where do the recruiter fit in in foster care? Yeah, so recruiters, um, they they can recruit for a lot of different things. Like a lot of times we think of as a recruiter as just recruiting for foster parents, but right. they recruit for CASAs, they recruit respite care providers, they recruit mentors. Um, they uh, they do a great job facilitating uh, adoption and uh, foster care preparation classes, um, and they use tools like this one um, to help other people find their fit. And I think that's the most important part uh, about a recruiter. Is sometimes we think of as a recruiter is trying to get other people to do what they want them to do. Exactly. No, but a recruiter instead they're trying to help people do the thing that they were put on this planet to do. do. That's right. And so they yeah. are others focused and they are helping people so, to make a difference. So recruiters are important. They're very, very important. That's awesome. All right. So um, so that wraps it up for us today. And, uh, and like we said earlier, uh, we don't want you to just listen to this podcast and, and identify which one of these you are. We want you to actually take this, these concepts and this material, mm, these back booklets, to church, yes. back to your church. Um, and it can be part of Stand Sunday. You excited about Stand Sunday? Man, I'm super excited about Stand Sunday. I can't wait. Yeah, it's such wait. a great opportunity Most to go uh, in front of uh, your church, at your mm-hmm. church. Sometimes you don't get the chance to be in front of the church, but you get a chance to set up a, a booth or something outside. Exactly. Whatever opportunity you have, yep. sometimes we can get kind of caught up and being sad or frustrated that we mm-hmm. don't get the opportunities that we'd like. Right. Um, but we, what I found is that uh, we do better for mm-hmm. kids when we take advantage of the opportunities we do have exactly. and we're faithful with those. That's right. And so let's use Stand Sunday to be faithful. Yeah. And if we have the opportunity to gather a group of folks in a room, yeah. then let's introduce them 
to their fit That's in right. foster care. Most definitely. And That's so you awesome. can find these materials. You can figure out how to get these booklets and get the slides by coming to kfo.org slash foster movement. So again, to find these materials, to uh, get the slides that you can use in your own church, in your own community, go to cafo.org slash foster movement. Well, we want to thank all of our guests today. We want to thank Tyrone Flowers, and we want to thank all seven of uh, our guests that helped introduce us to the different faces of foster care. We want to thank you for joining us. We'd like to hear from you. Come find us on Facebook at the Foster Movement Podcast page. Um, And we'd like for you to uh, share about this podcast with others. Yeah, so please share. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Um, You can leave us a review on iTunes. Always appreciate that. And to get today's show notes, just go to fostermovementpodcast.org. All right, Diego, that's it for today. Thanks to all of you listening for all you do to speak up for kids and families in foster care. We're here to help you do that until there's more than enough. This has been the Foster Movement Podcast. Join Jason Weber and Diego Fuller next time as they and their guests help you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Hey, this is Jason and Diego again. Yes, and we're still here because there's a couple of things that we want you guys to know. That's right. First of all, be sure to download the free PDF we created, especially for listeners of this podcast. It's called Key Things Former Foster Youth Want You to Understand About Caring for Current Foster Youth. This thing is beautiful and full of wisdom and insight from those who've been there. And I'm telling you, you need to print these babies out and give them to foster parents and applicants you work with because these things are amazing. Just go to morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. That's morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. Also, as you know, the Foster Movement Podcast is a limited series of just 18 episodes. But listen, it's okay. Don't be sad. Here's why. Because there's more where that came from. Tell them, Jay. That's right. More Than Enough has produced a whole family of podcasts, one of which is called the More Than Enough Podcast. So to learn more, go to morethanenoughtogether.org and click on the podcast link at the top of the homepage, and they are all there. Hey, and one last thing. Thank you for listening. It's a privilege to be a part of your journey. Our team is here to help you work with others in your community to provide for children and families before, during, and beyond foster care until there's more than enough.